you've got a Bible there in front of you, um, please turn back to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. Now, now this week, I came across a list on the internet, and it was a hilarious list. You know, this was a list that had me cringing and it had me laughing in equal measure because it was a list of the 20 most embarrassing things that can happen to you. The 20 most embarrassing things. And it contains such beauties as number four on the list, uh, congratulating a woman on her pregnancy, when in fact she's not pregnant at all. Number six, I like number six, it uh, said uh, waving at someone who it turns out wasn't actually waving to you. That's embarrassing. And then the last one, one we're probably all familiar with, familiar with in churches, number nine was um, forgetting the name of a person that you've met more than once. That's probably happened to us. These are all particularly embarrassing things. Well, in a much, much more serious way, the subject that we've got for consideration, the subject this morning has proved an embarrassing thing. It's, a, it's proved to be an embarrassing topic for Christians down the years. This topic today is something that we don't really like to talk about much. And it's something I'm sure that many of us struggle with. The subject this morning, folks, is the inevitable judgment of God. The judgment of God. Okay. So what have we got here in front of us in Genesis chapter 7? What have we got here? Well, I I guess this is the point that all these other chapters that we've been looking at recently, it's the point that these things have been pointing forward to, isn't it? Genesis 7, in some ways, feels like it's kind of the main event, because this is the point when these waters that have been talked about they actually begin to rise. And in the chapter, we see Noah, the way Noah and his family enter the ark. I guess you could call this chapter the point of embarkation, if you like, because the animals come to them. What do we have? Two of every unclean animal, seven of every clean animal, so that Noah will have something to eat, so that Noah will have something to sacrifice to God. And all these animals, they come to the family and they all enter the ark just as these waters explode, you know, just as the waters start. That's what we've got. So let's examine this chapter, Genesis 7, and let's do so in just a bit more detail. And let's consider a few points about what we learn here about The judgment of God. The judgment of God. And the first point I want us to consider is this. We see here the last warning of judgment. Okay, that's our first point. The last warning of judgment. So I ordered something from Amazon um, quite recently. 
And you know the score, you know how that works, I'm sure. Um, it wasn't actually coming from Amazon itself. It was coming from one of these you know, subsidiary companies. And man alive, uh, this company was probably the most efficient company uh, that there can be in the whole world because these guys sent me an email to confirm my order. That's what usually happens, isn't it? But then they did more than that. They also sent an email to tell me when this this thing, this item, would be dispatched. Then they te- told me again another email. They said when this thing would be arriving. And then finally, believe it or not, I got an email confirming that arrival was imminent. That the doorbell was just about uh, to go. So what I got from these guys was notification after notification after notification and look that's very similar to what happens here at the beginning of of Genesis 7 because what we see here is God issue a final notice of the flood God he serves his last warning of judgment here did you see that it's in verse 4 If your Bibles are open, look at verse 4. These are really important words. God says to mankind, he says to Noah, verse 4, seven days from this point. He said, man, seven days from now, I am going to send rain on the earth. So you get it. We've got a last warning, a last notification of judgment. And... Let's notice two things about this. Let's notice two things about this warning. Firstly, notice that it's a warning of divine action. Okay. His last warning is a warning of divine action. What does that mean? Well, in the original text, in the Hebrew, there is an emphasis on, on one word that we've got here. There's emphasis on the word I... In the phrase, I will send rain. That's emphasized. I will send rain. Now, why is that? Why is that emphasized? Well, what's happening there is that the Bible is emphasizing that this flood, you know, this cataclysmic impending judgment, that it's not a sort of work of the devil. And it's not some sort of Mother Nature Act. The Bible is emphasizing that this flood, this judgment, is from God. You know, that it is divine action against sin. It's emphasized, I, God, I will send rain. Now, folks, surely we see there that If the Bible is emphasizing that God acts in judgment over sin, then the Bible is not embarrassed by the fact that God acts in judgment over sin. And if the Bible isn't embarrassed that God acts in judgment over sin, then we shouldn't be either. We should not be embarrassed by this. You see, although the wrath of God is a fearful thing, in some ways it's a a terrible thing, 
and the consequences to God's wrath can be awful. The truth is that as Christians, we should preach this, you know, that we should hold on to the judgment of God. Why? I'll tell you. Because the judgment of God is actually something that points to his greatness, isn't it? The judgment of God points to his greatness. That our God is a God who judges evil. That he judges wickedness. That ain't something for us to be embarrassed about, is it? That is surely something to, to drive us to praise him and to worship him all the more. Our God is a God of justice. A God of justice. So, a warning of divine action. Second thing, note that it's also a repeated warning. Okay, it's a repeated warning. Did you see that? The, um, the wording that we've got in verse 4, you know, the, the wording in that verse that we read out, it's very similar to what we saw last week in Genesis chapter 6. The wording's the same. Because both times we hear this, both times we hear God say this, He says twice, I will wipe mankind from the face of the earth. He says that twice. It's a repeated warning. Now, why? Why does God repeat himself? Well, what God is doing there is he is repeating for us. He is reiterating in the strongest possible terms the certainty of judgment. That's what's going on here. It's the certainty of judgment. He's saying to mankind, he's saying, let there be no mistake here. These are not empty words. All this talk of a judgment, all this talk of a flood, that's not just, these are not just empty words. This is going down. He's saying, this is, this is happening. He says, let me repeat myself. I am, I am going to Wipe mankind from the face of the earth. So it's a warning of divine action. God is in action here. But it's also a repeated warning to drum home that this is going to happen, that this is a certainty. But there's a question you might have. Because you might be asking, why, why bother with that? You know, why highlight the last warning? You might be thinking, you know, Genesis 7 is, what is it? It's probably one of the most famous chapters in Scripture, isn't it? And Genesis 7, the talk of the flood, there's a lot going on. It's dense. There's an incredible amount in this chapter. So you might be asking, why are we highlighting just this? Why are we highlighting this warning here? Well, friends... We need to highlight this warning so that we come to terms with the fact that there is also, before us, before you, a last warning from God. We also have a last warning from God. You see, as we read these verses in Genesis chapter 7, What we've got to understand is that these are 
a foreshadow of another event, aren't they? You know, this talk of judgment here, the talk of the flood, it's a pointer to something else. It is a foreshadow of the great judgment, of the final judgment that will come to all mankind. And how do we know about that? Seriously, how do we know that a judgment day is coming? We know because God has warned us. We know because God has already told us of that judgment, hasn't he? You know, Scripture, God's word, is packed full of warnings about that, that, that last day. There's warning after warning after warning of that coming judgment. You know, think about, what is it, Acts 17.31. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Now, is that not quite a thought? You and I have already had our last warning of judgment. We have had our warning of judgment. Now, um, folks, can I ask you, where do you think I'm going with this? We seek to apply talk of a final warning and a last warning and God's notice here. Where do you think we're going to go? Do you think it's kind of inevitable what's going to happen here? Do you think there's just going to be an automatic plea to you if if you're, or a plea to any unbelievers here to, to repent in the face of judgment? Do you think that's what's going to happen? Is that inevitable? Well, maybe, but not yet. Because to tell you this, I want to speak to you about this. I want to speak to the Christian here, to the believer, to the one who's saved by grace. I want to say to you, what are you going to do with the warning? What are you going to do with the warning? Are you going to ignore this warning that God has issued in Scripture? Are you just going to kind of stick your head in the sand and say, well, you know, I'm safe. I'm saved. Is that what you're going to do? Are you just going to ignore it? Or are you going to do something with that knowledge? Are you going to do something with that warning? You see, you might pick me up on this and you might say it's speculation. Okay? And I know that we're not explicitly told. But can I ask you, what do you think Noah would have done with that warning that he's given with God? Here's a man who's told by God explicitly that in seven days, everything goes. You know, in seven days from now, Noah is told, your neighbours and your colleagues and some of your loved ones, I'm sure, everyone goes. Everything is dead. Everything is going to perish in the judgment. What do you think Noah would have done? Do you think Noah would have remained silent? Well, in Peter, 1 Peter... Peter describes Noah, and he doesn't just say about Noah that Noah is righteous. Do you know what he says about Noah? 
He says, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached righteousness. Now I'm reckoning that that means Noah didn't remain silent. Noah went out. He went out with zeal, people. He could see that there was a judgment coming. And he would have told people of that judgment. And he would have told them of the only way that they could be saved from that. And friends, the the simple fact is that just like Noah, we are people who have a warning. We have a warning. So let's do something with that. Let's go out. Honestly, I beg you, let us go out in our lives and talk of judgment. And let's tell people also of grace. Let's tell them of that vessel of salvation that we spoke about. Let us tell people of Jesus Christ. So a warning of judgment. We see also, though, secondly, a fulfillment of judgment. A fulfillment of judgment. Fulfillment of judgment. Okay. We've got a problem at home. We've got a problem in the manse in the shape of a two-year-old girl. Our uh, sweet and innocent-looking two-year-old daughter um, is becoming bit of a brat when it comes to uh, the dinner table and she's really misbehaving and uh, one night this week I had to kind of intervene and uh, try and put a stop to this you know we're at the dinner table and she's been really bad oh, she was being very mischievous and I warned her I said if you carry on doing that Ellie Rose you are not getting your pudding and this was a big deal for Ellie Rose but despite that she continued to be bad. So I warned her again. I said, you're not going to get your pudding. And she continued to be bad. But it got to a point. It gets to that point, doesn't it? A point where I had to follow up my words with action. And I had to stop her getting her pudding. It's the point where a threat turns into action. And in a much graver sense, in a much more serious sense, that's what we see at the midpoint of this, of this chapter here. Because we see, again, more seriously, we see God follow through on his warnings. We see God follow through on what he said, and he sends the flood upon the earth. And I want us to see just a couple of things about this flood just now. Okay, two things about the flood. One, notice that this flood that comes on the earth, notice that it is a precisely recorded thing. Okay? It's precisely recorded, the flood. Now, did you see that when we read through it? There's a few things that should jump out, jump out at us as we read through it. We're given the age Noah was, aren't we, when the flood comes? says he's 600 years old. Then, did you notice as well, we're given the month that the flood comes. Second month. Then, quite remarkably, I suppose, we're given the, the very day 
the year when all this took place. It says the 17th day of the year. Surely we're all asking the same question. We're all asking, why, why is that there? Why does Scripture record these seemingly superfluous events? I'll tell you. We've got that because there is a declaration here of the reality of the flood. There's an underscoring in Scripture of, of the, what we call the veracity or the truth of the flood. You know, in some ways, we talked about this last week, we kind of wreck this story. Don't we? We wreck this account because we too often think about it as a metaphor. The flood's a metaphor or the, the, the flood's an illustration. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that the flood took place. It tells us that the flood is real. It says that the flood happened, and it happened on the 17th day of the second month of the 600 year, of Noah's 600 year. So it's real. The flood is real. But the second thing we should probably note here is the astonishing devastation that the flood causes. The devastation of it. Now, Tuesday night, I watched a film with my wife, and we sat down and watched, I think it's called Impossible. And um, you may have seen it, it stars, I'm going to get this wrong, it stars Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts. And it's that, you, you'll have seen it advertised, I'm sure. It's the film that, that talks or details. A family's survival uh, during that tsunami that hit uh, Southern Asia in 2004. The tsunami. Now, when we're talking about the flood just now, is that what you're thinking about? When we're reading about the flood, are you thinking about the flood? Are you thinking of YouTube clips or news reports of the tsunami? Well, if you are, can we just put that to bed just now? Because this was not a tsunami. The tsunami was terrible. This is, this is a, a more widespread thing than the tsunami. This is even more devastating than that. I mean, just have a look at how it's described. Think about this. The waters burst forth from beneath the ground. Then the, then the floodgates of heaven opened and poured water onto the earth. What a scene that is. You know, what a scene of absolute devastation. You know, we might think of that torrential rain we had yesterday. Forget that. This isn't a downpour. This is an unprecedented deluge we've got here. And I will tell you what this is. This flood was a reversal of creation. That's what it was. Think about Genesis 1. Think of how God created the world. He separated the waters, didn't he? He separated the waters to, to, to create land and then to create life. And what do we have here? We have a reversal of that great creative act. 
The waters come back over the land and they kill every living thing. And can I say to you just this morning, and can I say to you, if you are, as you sit in that seat, if you are unrepentant, if you have never repented before God, can I say to you that the great judgment that's coming, you know, this final judgment that Genesis 7 is pointing to, it's also going to be a precisely recorded event. The Lamb's Book of Life will be opened. And names and numbers will be recorded. Why? Because it is also going to be a real event. It will happen. And just like in Genesis 7, that final judgment will be also an astonishing scene of devastation. Because although we learn here, what do we learn about the people affected by the flood? Do you see what we see? There's, there's three words. There's the word they will perish. There's the word they will die. There's the word that they will be wiped out. Well, despite that, the effects of the final day and the final judgment will be even worse than that. And if you are found on that day unrepentant, if you are found without spiritual life in Jesus Christ, hear this. You will face hell. You will face punishment from God. You will face separation from God because there will be fulfillment, fulfillment of judgment. Okay, so it's it's been a, a week for lists, as I said, and I talked about that that daft one earlier on, that 20 most embarrassing moments. But I found another list um, on the internet this week. And this time, ready for it, it was the 10 most common reasons for not going to church. The 10 most common reasons for not going to church. So that made pretty interesting reason, I'm sure you can imagine. Number seven on the list was this. It said, people don't go to church because of fire and brimstone type preaching. People don't go to church because of preaching that tries to intimidate or scare or bully people. Well, folks, do you think that's what we've got today? Do you think that that's what this is all about this morning? Well, it's not. You know, yes, the message of Genesis 7 is one of, you know, judgment. It's a message of the reality of judgment. It's a message of the certainty of judgment. But I'll tell you this. There is also a consistent theme of grace that is running through this chapter. And I really hope you see that in 
as we conclude in our final point, because we, we saw that, that, what was it, the first one, the last warning of judgment? And then we saw how that judgment is fulfilled. But the last point, the last point is the protection from judgment. The protection from judgment. Because it's not just a message here about devastation, is it? Because God acts and he saves people here, doesn't he? He saves people. He saves this undeserving family. He puts them into the vessel of salvation, into the ark. And as we close, I just want us to see one very, very, very simple thing here. One very simple point. And it's in verse 16. I want us to see the security of salvation. So verse 16, if your Bibles are open, in fact, it's not even the whole verse. It's just the last phrase of verse 16. Do you see it? Spurgeon spoke about this verse. Spurgeon said that it was the most blessed verse. The last bit of verse 16. It says, Noah entered the ark. What does it say? Then the Lord shut him in. Then the Lord shut him in. Friends, do you get it? Do you see the security and the safety of the fact that Noah didn't shut the door? Shem, Ham, Yapheth didn't shut the door. It was the Lord, the Lord that shut them into the ark. And that meant that there would be no breach, there would be no leak. You know, these wars of the flood, they could rise all they want. They could cover the the surface of the earth. They could rise and they could rise. They could cover the highest mountain by 20 feet. Do you know what? It didn't matter. Why didn't it matter? Because the Lord had shut the door and those people were safe inside that ark. And I'll tell you this, even more than that, this verse, it points to the security of salvation. It points to the, the protection from judgment that we have in Christ Jesus. I mean, you know the words, don't you? You know that uh, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present, the future, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. If you are in Christ this morning, guess what? You are safe. Because the Lord has shut the door. He has shut you in. And that means that if you're a Christian just now, regardless of what happens in your life, you cannot be taken out of the vessel of salvation. You can't be taken out. It means that troubled waters may come, troubled waters may rise and rise. It might feel sometimes like, as it says here, they keep on coming. It might feel as well that you lose sight of solid ground beneath you. But it doesn't matter. You are safe in Jesus Christ. You might be like Noah, who loses everything, doesn't he? He loses all his possessions. He loses friends. He loses people he knows and cares about. But look what it says. It says, even though these troubled waters were deep in Genesis 7, above them what happened, above all those troubled waters, the ark, the vessel of salvation, 
it floated serenely. Friends, there is calm and there is peace in Jesus Christ because the Lord has closed the door. And we end with this. We've seen that God shut Noah into the ark. But that means that he also shut people out of the ark. And I say to you this morning, don't be one of those people. Do not leave it too late to step aboard the ark. Do not leave it too late to come to Jesus Christ. You see, this today in this room here is your window of opportunity. This now is what it's all about. Your whole life comes down to this. That there is a judgment coming. And there is a vessel of salvation. What are you going to do? I would say to you, get aboard that ark. And if you do that, you will be ever more secure in Jesus Christ. Let God shut you in. Let's pray.